Malachi chapter 3. Jesus is coming. I mean, it becomes apparent each day, every day. There's something else. It's everything is ramped up. And you know, if you're if you're paying attention even a little bit, you could see that the very things that the Lord said would happen, would come, would take place before and the things leading up to the second coming, and even the things that we see taking place in the tribulation, that we're beginning to see these things ramped up. And so when tribulation begins, and I don't believe that the church will be here when the tribulation begins, but when tribulation begins, things are going to happen so quickly. I was driving in tonight, and I was thinking of, what the world will be like the day of the rapture. You know, there will be people that had heard the gospel and they rejected it. They scoffed at, you know, Jesus isn't coming and, oh, this whole rapture thing, you know, everybody knows that it was made up by some young girl who was a witch or whatever. All these strange, strange things. And it's like they're oblivious to the fact that we're not getting this information about the coming of the Lord for his church, the dead in Christ rising first, and then those who are alive being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We're not getting this information that this is going to happen before the wrath of God comes, is poured out. The Bible tells us these things. The Bible tells us that the church is not subject to the wrath of God. The Bible tells us that the, in the book of Revelation, at the very beginning of the book of Revelation, that the wrath of the Lamb has come. That's what it's all about. And the church will be removed. And I was thinking, what will it be like on the day of the rapture? People who had heard, people who had rejected, they drop to their knees, they fall on their faces, they begin to cry out to the Lord, but it's too late. As far as not their salvation, I mean, they could be saved, and there will be those who will be saved during the tribulation, but they will be martyred for their faith. They're not going to make it through the tribulation. Um, but I think of those that had known how they will react. I think of just the rest of the world, maybe those who could care less about these things or some other theory of what has happened to all these people that have disappeared. I think of the next day. You know, human nature, we just kind of pick up, pull our boots up by the strap and say, well, move on. You know, this is life now. And I, and I just can't imagine what it's going to be like. We daily, we hear of the shortages of food daily. Do you know, guys, that at the shipyards, some of these large shipyards, like in Long Beach, California, they're saying that the shipyards, remember a number of months ago, maybe even a year ago, there were many of these barges out there waiting to get in, to unload their, they're saying it's not happening now. In fact, there's a fellow, he's uh, got a program, Monkey Works, Monkey Works, is that the right name? And his whole thing is, he, he's a Christian guy, 
And he shows you just planes that are traveling, where they're traveling. He goes, there's a lot of air traffic right now over here in this area. It could be because of this going on and that going on. He gives you information, all this stuff that, you know, most of us would say, well, God, who would care about these things? But he does it just to simply point out to say there's been a change. There's been a shift. Look at this over here. We don't have uh, ships coming in with supplies. And we keep being told that, you know, it's going to be bleak. But this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus told us that there'll be famines. That those were the beginnings of the birth pains. Those were just the birth pains. That's not even tribulation. That's just the beginning signs of it. And so we need to be people who know our Bibles. Nehemiah and I were talking about this before study tonight. And Nehemiah made this statement. He said, when I'm not in the word... It's amazing how my faith begins to wane. And I said, amen, that's how it is. Our, our faith wanes quickly. But when we're in the word of God, we have hope. Believers, we mourn when loved ones die. But we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Christians, believers, if we're Bible believers... We look at the things that are happening in the world and we don't fret and wring our hands and say, what am I going to do? We have hope in Christ and we believe what the word of God says and we say, these are signs of the coming of my Lord. We don't look at, these are the signs of coming judgment and all these types of things, though this is what the world should be thinking about, you know. But for us, we're excited about Jesus coming back. The church will be removed and the focus of God will be once again on Israel. Can I remind you what the Battle of Armageddon is all about? Is the Battle of Armageddon against America? No. Who's it against? Israel. All the nations will be drawn in to Israel. The focus will be on Israel. God is not done with Israel. And so we left off Two weeks ago, last week, we took a break and watched that video. But two weeks ago, we ended our Malachi study with this verse, or the end of this verse. It says in verse 17, the very end of it, Where is the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? The people of Malachi's day, they're looking around, they're saying, There's injustice everywhere. Where is the God of justice? There's sin. People sin. They live these lives of debauchery. Where is the God of justice? He, obviously, he doesn't care. Or it's not that big of a deal to him. Where is the God of justice? And surely we live in a time, you know, to remind you, I touched on it last week when we watched the video of Sodom and Gomorrah, that this is Pride Month. Isn't that funny that they would use that term, Pride Month? The Bible says that uh, pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before the fall. And yet we have a whole group of people that, you know, are excited about and want to celebrate the pride that they have in their sexual immorality. Where is the God of justice? And then chapter 3 God answers, behold. You know what behold means. Look. 
chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Where is the God of justice? Look, here he is. You see, but it wasn't that quick. It wasn't that quick. 400 years between Malachi and John the Baptist, 400 years. In fact, Bible scholars will say 400 years of silence, 400 years where there was no prophet. There was no prophetic voice in the world. There was no prophetic voice speaking to Israel. This was it. And I think it's worth noting that Malachi, the short little prophecy from Malachi, it's broken up into four chapters in our modern-day Bibles. Of course, it wasn't broken up into chapters at all. I suggest to you that it was broken up into seven messages, which I think is appropriate, seven, the number of completion. And as we've been going through it, we've just kind of broke it up, the teaching between Nate and I, the way the Bible broke it up. But this begins another message. This begins, in fact, verse 17 of chapter 2 began the fourth message in the book of Malachi. And so where is the God of justice? Well, behold, I send my messenger. Now, the messenger that he's referring to, and it's, it's exciting to note this, that Malachi, in the very first verse of chapter 3, he mentions the coming of John the Baptist, and, the, and he mentions the coming of Jesus Christ. The, the messenger that he is sending, my messenger, he will prepare the way for me, is John the Baptist. And we know it's John the Baptist for a number of reasons. Of course, we have our New Testament. But would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40? Isaiah chapter 40. And we'll just begin in verse 30. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. How about Matthew? Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 11. And we'll just pick it up in verse 10. Verse 10, it says, For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. We just read that, didn't we, in Isaiah. 
and also Malachi. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So we know Jesus says, Isaiah was speaking of, Malachi was speaking of John the Baptist. He is the messenger to come. And he says that, that he is the greatest. There's no one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. I think of the, the Romans, of course, at that time. I think of the religious leaders at that time that surely were violent toward the gospel of Christ, toward Christ himself. For all the prophets and the law, remember last week's study? Guys, this is another thing. When you're in the word of God, you see how the word of God confirms itself. Faith comes by hearing and not by the word of God. Last week we looked at Jesus uh, with Elijah and Moses on the mountain. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. Jesus, I reminded you, said at the Sermon on the Mount, don't think that I've come to abolish or to destroy the law and the prophets. I haven't come to destroy them, but to fulfill them, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And here we see Jesus mentioning, as he's speaking of John the Baptist, he says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. So it's like, you know, we want you to be what we want you to be. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children or her works or her fruit. Guys, in Malachi's prophecy, this short little prophecy, we have mention of Jesus' first coming, which will come about after the coming of John the Baptist preparing the way. And in Malachi, we have the mention of his second coming, brought about after the preparation of Elijah the prophet. So we have... We have both Advents in this short little prophecy, this prophecy of Malachi. His first coming, his first Advent, and his second Advent. We'll see the second one, of course, at the end of, of chapter 4. So where is the God of justice? Behold, behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. John the Baptist. We looked at this, we touched on this on Sunday, that John the Baptist was not Elijah, but he fulfilled an Elijah ministry or Elijah type of, um, uh, you know, preparing the people uh, at, for the first advent of Jesus. But Elijah will come. Guys, think of that. 
Um, you know, the Bible tells us, Book of Revelation tells us that there will be two prophets that will come upon the scene. They'll be in Israel. In fact, I was listening to one of the fellows that I listened to, Bible Prophecy Fellow, and he was in Israel a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, there's some folks that they say, well, we're, we're in the tribulation, this is it. And, of course, I, you know, I don't believe that we're in the tribulation at all. But um, he was talking to one of these friends of his that believes that we're in the tribulation. And he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to Israel and if I see two prophets there <laughs> preaching in the streets, I'll let you know. Because the Bible says that two prophets will be there. And, and many believe that one will possibly be Elijah. And when you look at what they do, their description, the way they look and, and, and what, how they function, it seems like it's, it's possibly Elijah and Moses. And some argue about that, and they say, well, you know, it's appointed for a man once to die, and then the judgment. Um, and so we know that Elijah never died, and there was one other that never died. That was Enoch. Enoch never died. He walked with God, and he was not, for God had taken him. Remember, we see that in the book of Genesis, but then we have the commentary in the New Testament in Hebrews. So again, the Bible always confirming itself. You read something, you know, you want to see the... Uh, commentary on it in the New Testament or vice versa. So some will say, well, it's Enoch and it's, and it's Elijah. I think it's going to be one of them will definitely be Elijah. But you know what's interesting about Moses is that who, who buried Moses? God buried Moses. Where is Moses buried? No one knows. God took his body. In fact, we see in the New Testament in Jude that there was a dispute over the body of Moses. Do you remember that? And you wonder, why would there be a dispute over that? And maybe it's because Moses will be that second prophet. But they'll be there, they'll preach, they'll be preaching the gospel, we'll have the 144,000 Jews that will be virgin men, Jews. Um, that will be from all the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes are listed there, um, that will be preaching the gospel, no doubt. We know that many Jews, when they realize that Antichrist is not the Christ, but the, the um, Antichrist, when he sets up the abomination that causes desolation, then they will do as Jesus says, flee to the mountains, they'll flee from Jerusalem. Don't go down to your house, just flee, get out. Whoa, you know, it's going to be a difficult time as people are fleeing, you know. But many will come to faith, many of the Jews will come to faith. Because, guys, that's the plan of God. God made a covenant with Israel. God does not break his covenant. Don't listen to these lying Christians. Doesn't that sound weird to say? But these lying Christians that say, God, we have replaced Israel. Israel no longer exists. We are Israel. We are not Israel. Israel is Israel. And we are the bride of Christ. We are the church. And we are Two separate entities altogether. And God is not done with Israel. And God is going to save Israel. Israel will be saved. We see this in Romans. You know, you have Romans uh, 8, 9, and, uh, 8, 9, and 10. And you read those chapters, and it speaks of Israel's rejection of the Messiah. And then it speaks of Israel's acceptance in coming to the Messiah. And, and we're told there 
as Gentile believers that we shouldn't take pride in the fact that, that Israel that it was a branch that was cut off because of unbelief. But we need to be humble about that because, you know, we could easily be cut off as well because of unbelief, you know. And so we look at all these things. God has a plan for Israel. And as you look at these things, who receives the message? The Jews receive the message. This is a prophet of Israel. And he's speaking to the children of Israel. There is no church when these things are being spoken. This is speaking to the Jews. And he's telling them, I'm coming. And I have a messenger who's coming before me to prepare the way for me. John the Baptist. And then he goes on and he says, and the Lord whom you seek. Now it's interesting because we know that the Jews, they sought for their Messiah. They were expecting Messiah to come. They wanted their Messiah to come. Even to this day, Jews that are, you know, they believe Torah, you know, uh, because there's many Jews that are secular. They don't believe, they're not religious at all. But Jews that are religious, that they, they believe, you know, the law, they believe what the, the Torah says and, and all, they are waiting for Messiah to come, except for them, they believe he's coming for the first time. But it says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Now, guys, let's look back at John chapter 2. John chapter 2, so that's early on in John's gospel. That's right after the miracle from John's gospel perspective. It's Jesus' first miracle that's recorded when Jesus made the water into wine. So this is early on in Jesus' ministry. And look at verse 13. It says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple. Now, Malachi, was he speaking of this? This early entering Jerusalem, entering, you know, the, the temple courts there? And he found the temple, in the temple, those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for my house has eaten me up. What are they remembering? They're remembering scripture, Old Testament prophet, what the prophets had said about Jesus. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you're doing these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking. So here's a commentary on it. So John gives us the commentary. He says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. 
Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered, guys, so much of our faith is reading, hearing, believing, and then remembering, remembering what's been written. That they remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. You say, so Dan, do you think that Jesus cleansed the temple twice? I do. I believe that Jesus cleansed the temple early on in his ministry. And of course, we see him cleansing the temple after his triumphal entry later on in his ministry. And I think that this is what Malachi may have been speaking of when he says that he will suddenly come to his temple. Because when he came, (laughs) he had something to do. He had something to say. Look what it says, even the messenger of the covenant. Now listen, guys. John the Baptist was not the messenger of the covenant. He was the messenger. He was the one to prepare the way before the Lord. But he's not the messenger of the covenant. Jesus is the messenger of the covenant. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. What are the law and the prophets of old? The covenant. The covenant of what? The Abrahamic covenant. The Davidic covenant. The covenant that God made with Israel, to Israel, in spite of Israel. (laughs) And so here we have the Lord. It says, in whom you delight. Now, I think that's interesting because you think, but did they delight? Another place to turn. I'm having you turn to a lot of places. John chapter 1. Did did they delight in the Lord? John chapter 1 tells us in verse 10. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. Hey guys. We need to pay attention to what the Bible says. Because, you know, there are many, you say, Jesus is God. And there are many professing Christians who say, where do you get that? I, I'm not clear on that. I, you know, he was, he, was, he was the greatest of men, but, but I don't know that he was God. He was God. Man did not create world, the world. God created the world. And, and we have... Examples of this in a number of places in the New Testament and Old Testament alike. But here we see that it says he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own. Now that first he came to his uh, he came to his own. That is his own things. So as it goes into the temple, whose temple is that? That's my temple. That's my father's house. My father's house shall be a house of prayer. Get out! You know, he has the authority to do that. And, and, and then it goes on and it says, and his own, and that speaks of his own people, did not receive him. Next verse, but as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Isn't that wonderful? It's beautiful. So 
in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. I like that. You know, I'm in good company. Because every week I say, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. I'm in good company because the prophet said, he's coming, and he's coming. And you could scoff at it. And the scoffer will be surprised when he comes. Or you could believe it and expect it to happen any day. There has been such a strange pushback. And it's funny how, you know, I seem to measure everything uh, (laughs) by COVID. (laughs) I don't know why. It just seemed like the world changed when COVID. Their opinion about things and Bible prophecy. and Because COVID, I think, got the attention of many Bible believers because we caught on, most of us caught on fairly quickly, something's behind this thing. And if you're paying attention, you know that something else is coming. See, so those of us that have been talking about the something else that's coming we got to remind each other when you know not to fret because we got to say we saw it, it was coming it's coming it's here here it is knew this was coming it's going to be either a shutdown because of uh you know global warming issues <laughs> or it's going to be a shutdown because of some new virus they tell us what's coming before it comes i i say they i'm not saying the lord the lord tells us he gives us insight on things, obviously, from his word, world, uh, word, but there are many in the world that are telling us things before they're coming. They told us that COVID was coming before it came. A year before it came, they told us. They had the whole scenario laid out. We're, we're listening closer now. And so when we watch these billionaires gather in Davos, or other places around the world. There's uh, you know, four such groups, four or five such groups like this, where you have these global leaders. They're not elected leaders, but they are, they are global leaders because of their clout, because of their money, because of their position or whatever. And so these people gather together, and they talk about things like um, the next pandemic and how we're supposed to deal with it. And you start listening to what they're saying and, and how they're talking about vaccinations for these things and all these things. And we're just, we're just watching and we're saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. When they're talking about, um, you know, how we need to save the planet. And, of course, none of these people believe that there's a, a, a concern for the planet at all. You know what's interesting? In the book of Revelation, the Lord says that he's going to judge those who destroyed his world. And it's not those driving their cars to work. <laughs> but there is a there is this push you know they fly in their private jets to these locations they you know their carbon footprint is larger than any of ours would be in 10 lifetimes you know normal people just living our lives and everything and they're going to tell us and Paul even alluded to this, though I don't believe he was speaking of them, I believe he was speaking of religious leaders that want us to abstain from meat. But we have 
global leaders that are telling us to abstain from meat. I say, well, so watch it. Don't be surprised when it comes, you know. They want us to be vegans. Now, if you're a vegan, you might say, well, that's good. We all should be vegans. Hey, listen. Oh. But I'll tell you, we're watching these things, guys. And if I didn't know Jesus, if I didn't believe in Jesus, if I didn't believe, you know, these things are coming. I don't know how long we're going to be here, but I know that I believe that we're going to be gone before things get really, really bad. Have you placed your faith in Christ? You need to place your faith in Christ. Jesus is the one, through the prophets, he told us he's coming, and he came. And he told us of things that were coming. In whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Now, you know, guys, this was true. <laughs> this was true at his first coming. Luke chapter 3. We'll start with verse 16. John, so John's the one speaking here, John the Baptist. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now listen to what he says about Jesus. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. And gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, John said this at his first coming. But I think it applies, I think it applied for his first coming in a spiritual sense, but this will definitely apply at his second coming. Guys, Look what it says in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand? I'm back in Malachi, I'm sorry. And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Who were, who were the sons of Levi? The priest, that's right. And purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. I have you turning to so many places, but would you, would you turn with me to First Peter chapter 2? In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter speaks um, and touches on the priest, wait, that thing, when I, I don't know why it gets so loud all of a sudden, the priesthood of the believer. 
So we are, if you will, now follow what I'm saying. We're not, we're not replacing the sons of Levi. But we, the church, male and female, we, the church, are a holy priesthood. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Look at verse 5. You, so he's speaking of us, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, look at this, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He, back in Malachi, he comes as a refiner. He is a refiner, a purifier of silver and gold. Now, listen, the launderer, the purifier, he doesn't come to destroy, but to clean. See, a launderer doesn't destroy the laundry. <laughs> he, he cleans the laundry. A purifier, a refiner of gold or silver, doesn't come to destroy the gold or the silver, but to purify the gold or the silver. How does he do that? Well, he puts it under intense heat. And as the ore is under intense heat, the ore begins to break down and liquefy. And the refiner, he goes through this process, the heat, and then removing it from the heat and scraping the dross off of the silver, off of the gold. He scrapes it off, puts it back under the heat. The, the impurities come up to the surface once again, scrapes it off. This is an, a process that takes quite some time. And the refiner, the purifier, knows that what he's working on, the silver or the gold, is good when he can see his own reflection. And, and that's what the Lord wants to do for Israel, and that's what the Lord is doing with us. Guys, for the church... We are, and, and, and this is why words are so important, and it's, so, it's such a blessing. There are so many um, wonderful, wonderful blessings in the Word of God that most of us miss completely because we're just not careful in our reading. La last week, I sent to Nate and to Nehemiah um, a an old video of Chuck Missler. Some of you might remember Chuck Missler. He's gone home to be with the Lord. But Chuck Missler, going way back, Chuck Missler was um, one of the, he was an executive. He was, you know, extremely wealthy man. Um, but he was also a, a teacher at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And I think he taught a Monday night study. And he would usually teach through the prophets. He'd usually teach through uh, Daniel or, you know, uh, some of these prophetic books. And so I sent the guys 
this video. And it was a video, and we've looked at some of these things before. Like he pointed out how the gospel is seen in the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5. I always love that one. The gospel. God speaks the gospel through the genealogy, through the names that are given there, and, and, and we're missing a name in the genealogy, but he, it fits perfectly, the gospel message, it fits perfectly from the names, the meaning of the names in the genealogy of, of Genesis, chapter 5 there. Is it chapter 5 or chapter 10? Am I thinking of the wrong? Chapter 5, okay. And then, um, what were some of the other things? There were some other, uh, there were a number of things he was pointing out. Uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, if you go, it's in 49 letter intervals in the Hebrew. In Genesis, you find the Hebrew word Torah, T O R H. Yeah. The Hebrew letter. You find it again, the same exact pattern in Exodus. Yes. In Leviticus, you don't find it. Yeah. But you go to um, Numbers, you find it but backwards. Yeah. <laughs> and then in Deuteronomy, you find it backwards as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you see in the Oh, that's right. In Moses, you see all, all of the Torah points to God. Yes. Part right. Of the, of, of the law. Of the law. That's right. That's so good. And there's so many things. You know, Chuck Minster, we always bring out those types of things, you know. But, you know, you say, well, that's too heavy. You know, I don't know about that, yeah. that type of thing, you know. But you know what? Just as a, a reader of the scriptures, when you read Paul's letters, and you know what, guys? You have the Spirit of God in you. You have the Word of God you, you, before you. And, and we should be people who become familiar with the authors. You know, the way they write. Like if, if, if we didn't have, you know... Uh, you know, Galatians, you know, by Paul the Apostle or something like that, you would be able to figure out, this is from Paul. How do you know it's from Paul? You could just see the pattern, the way he writes. But with Paul, he would always emphasize over and over and over again the word in, I-N. You are in Christ. You are in the Lord. You are in Jesus. You are in. And he wanted the believer to see themselves as being in Christ. You know, I, I like to picture, if you're, you know, inside, um, maybe like a mummy bag or something, you know, mummy bags, you can't move very much in those. I hate those things. Your legs are so tight, but you, you're, you're in a mummy bag, and there you are, and if you're cold, if it's cold outside, that's probably the best kind of sleeping bag to have, but you're in that sleeping bag. If you're outside of that sleeping bag, it's going to be a difficult night. If you're in that sleeping bag, there's going to be protection. There's going to be a covering. And Paul wants us to see ourselves as in Christ Jesus. And so when Father looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. This is what the New Testament teaches. Isn't that wonderful? Because in ourselves, we, just, we can look at our lives and say, gosh, I'm always messing up. I'm always doing this, I'm always doing that. And not that we want to be reckless, and, and, uh, but, but there's 
comfort to, to realize, you know what, I am in Christ Jesus. I belong to him. He is my Lord. And, you know, he is my covering. And he is, his righteousness has become now the cloak of, of my righteousness, you know. I've become a new creature in Christ Jesus, you know. And you start looking at these scriptures. Now, I hope that as you're reading through Paul's letters, you're going to see that. In fact, maybe, you know, so many of us have so many Bibles. Maybe you'll want to do that. Maybe you'll want to go through the 13 epistles of Paul in a Bible and just circle every time you see the word in, and it's referring to in Christ or in the Lord or in Jesus, and it will blow your mind. Because the Lord is communicating through Paul. Paul's a human author, but the scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. All scripture, the Spirit of God inspired these men to write the things that they wrote and the way they wrote them. And so as we look at this, you know, you think of, yes, this is for Israel, but boy, how it applies to us as well. Look at verse 4. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem, so obviously speaking of Israel, will be pleasant or pleasing to the Lord. As in the days of old, as in former years, and I will come near you for judgment. What? I will be a swift witness. And then he, he, he says, I'll be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wages earned. Hey, guys, the Lord says, he, he mentions this quite often in the Bible. As you read through the Old Testament, the Lord is really, really concerned for the, the man, the woman, who does an honest day's work and doesn't get paid for it. He doesn't like that. And it goes on and says, and the widows and orphans. And I don't even have to point that out. You guys know, as you read through the scriptures, the widows and orphans are mentioned all the time. The Lord was so concerned. He says, it's your responsibility to take care of the widows and the orphans. Now, when you get to the New Testament, Paul says, uh, listen, uh, the church should take care of the widows, but they need to be widows indeed. And he gives qualification, and you see that the list gets really, really narrow, you know. Otherwise, you would have all these women uh, coming in and saying, well, my husband's dead, you know, and, and the church needs to take care of me. And once you go through the qualifications that Paul sets out, you say, boy, there's, you know, it gets very narrow, the conditions, you know, of the whole thing. By the way, I'm almost out of time. But by the way, one of the conditions is that they wash the feet of the saints. They minister. Um, you're a believer. Look for opportunities to minister. Please, minister. And not for our sake, but for your sake. When you minister, you put yourself on the back burner and you're putting others before yourself. Listen, the, uh, I asked you to be praying for Amos and Josiah, you know. The church is sponsoring them to go to Israel for three months for a study program. It's going to be exciting. We found out just 
a few days ago, Nate found out he's the he's the go-to guy that uh, they'll fly into Ben Gorham uh, Airport, uh, Ben 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 Gurian, Gurian, and then they will take a train, a uh, two-hour train, and they will actually be staying in the Golan Heights. I, I told Edward that, and he says. They'll be able to watch <laughs> as action comes. Moms don't want to hear that, but in the Golan Heights, and um, and and you know, and I had mentioned how we would really like to, as a church, if we're able to financially, we would like to be able to do this every year. We'd like to be able to, as long as Israel's opened up, we would like to sponsor two, you know, young people. We would like two because we like them to go together, and it could be male and you know, male or female. But it would be a trip of a lifetime for them. But here's the thing. You know, you have to apply. You have to apply for the school, which means um, I have to fill out an application, a reference application. I've filled out many, many reference applications for students that have wanted to go to Bible college, cover Chapel Bible colleges, or whatever they might be. And um, over the years... Um, there was one person, and in the application, I gave very low scores. Uh, they asked for, you know, kind of final words at the bottom, and I said, I'm very much concerned that this person should not go to this uh, program. I don't think that it would be good for them. And, um, you know, and they were accepted. And they went to another country. They went to the Philippines. And uh, after a very short period of time, I got a phone call from the Philippines. They said, Pastor Dan, we're having problems with so-and-so. I said, okay. I said, do you have um, the reference letter that I sent you? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let me look at it. I said, could you pull it out and, and look it over? Yes. I said, you know, <laughs> I warned you. I, I, I tried, you know, I, I could have just said, no, don't, you know, 